Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome, everyone, to Project Management Office Hours. We're the number one live project management radio show in the U.S., broadcasting to you from the Phoenix Business Radio X studios in Tempe, Arizona. I'm your host, PMO Joe, and for the next hour, we'll be talking project management, or more specifically today, we'll be talking Agile. Before we get into the show, I want to take a moment to thank the PMI Phoenix chapter for hosting me last evening. I presented Empowering People to Deliver Results in their weekly webinar series. Great turnout, over 100 registered guests uh, attended that last night. And we received some really good feedback. So thank you for that opportunity. And a reminder that I'll also be presenting next week at the Boston University Project Management and Practice Conference on the 25th and 26th. So thank you to Rich Maltzman, former guest on the show, for the invitation to participate. Uh, Check that out at www.projectmanagementinpractice.com. Also want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, the PMO Squad, home of the purpose-driven PMO. Visit thepmosquad.com to learn more about how the squad can support your project management team with veteran project management resources, PM training, and of course, PMO builds and recovery. And lastly, a reminder to everyone to visit projectmanagementofficehours.com to see a listing of our upcoming guests, listen to all of our previous episodes, and of course, all the great content that we have provided. So I'm super excited today to have with us our special guest, Jesse Fuel. Thanks so much for joining me today, Jesse. Thank you, Joe. I'm super excited to hang out and be a part of the show. If you could take a moment, uh, just share with our listeners a little bit about you, those who don't know, if there's any of them out there who don't know who you are yet, uh, uh, do an introduction, let them know who you are. Sure, sure. Hi, my name is Jesse. I'm a recovering project manager. (laughs) I uh, have been on my fair share of failed initiatives, successful initiatives, and then, oh yeah, the ones where I actually learned something. And along the way, moved into um, a consulting uh, consulting direction, consulting practice. I run a private consulting practice for Global 1000 companies, uh, focusing on transforming towards more digital, agile, collaborative, innovative ways of working. That's fantastic. Thanks for joining us. And for those uh, who attend conferences, and we'll get into this a little bit more, but you're uh, speaking or presenting at several conferences here actively and upcoming. Uh, We'll touch base on those as we get through the show. But more excitedly, we've got some important uh, news for you, right? Some announcements of a new, book, a new book you have released. Why don't you tell us about that? Yes, yes. Uh, super excited. Um, July 21st is the official launch date for Untapped Agility, Seven Leadership Moves to Take Your Transformation to the Next Level. <laughs> and uh, pre-order now. Uh, reserve your copy and join the launch team to help spread the message. And it's a simple message. And the simple message is that your transformation is not a failure. It is only just begun. And, and uh, we, we cover a lot of um, ground in the book to equip change leaders of any kind at any level in the organization 
to achieve the breakthrough results that they're trying to achieve, but feel frustrated and 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 thwarted and, uh, at every turn of the way. So uh, it's been a long journey. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, uh, one one of my one of my uh, female colleagues told me, Jesse, uh, writing a book is the closest a man will ever come to feeling what it's like to give birth. <laughs> so. <laughs> So it's been it's a, it's an exciting moment right now for for us at the at the firm. Well, that's awesome. Congratulations on that. And pre, you said pre-orders, I believe. Can where can they pre-order yet? Uh, yeah, just hop over to untappedagility.com and you can uh, get a pre-order uh, up ready. And then and then once uh, you got a pre-order, you can join the launch team for some uh, special perks and bonuses uh, that'll help you spread the message. Um, internally in your own organization or with your peers and colleagues. That's fantastic. I, I know I can't wait to get my copy. It's going to be a good read. Uh, I'm not yet uh, as agile versed as you are. I'm still a recovering project manager, PMO leader. Uh, I like to say I, I my empowerment date was March 3rd, 2013. That's the day that the PMO squad started. I left corporate America to gain my control of my career, right, to have my empowerment uh, and I feel my agile date is coming in the future. Just don't have it identified yet. Well, one of the things that I believe is agility is not a question of kind, but rather a question of degree. Every professional exhibits a, a degree of professional organizational project agility. Uh, it's just a question of to what degree have you formalized it and to what degree have you embodied uh, some of the concepts, um, some of the principles? Never mind the practices and the processes. Uh, I know, I know. As project managers, we get wrapped around the axle about inputs, tools, techniques, and outputs. And uh, you know what we're what we're learning is that project success is a lot more than that. Part of my talk I gave last night is empowering people to deliver results. It's there, you know, I brought up the project economy talks about people and delivery in the Agile Manifesto. Two of the four tenets of that are people over process and working software over documentation. So it's people over process and results over process, right? Again, as a non-Agilist, I'm still a delivery-minded individual, and we have to focus on what's our outcome and then utilize our people, right? The most important asset that we have to go deliver. So it's near and dear to my heart, and uh, I can't wait to really dig in to learn more, right, about untapped agility. So share, you know, what's the book about? I mean, in your best radio voice, you talked to us about what was coming, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's the, that was the movie intro, right? But now let's get into it. As we turn the pages of the book, what are we going to read? What's in there? In a world where project <laughs> managers are thwarted at every turn, one idea comes to the front, which is uh, there is a way forward. Uh, uh, so if you're a change manager, a program manager, or a PMO manager who's been charged with doing all of that, uh, we're running into barriers. And we did some uh, meta research and started asking people, specifically through the lens of achieving uh, various kinds of transformations around digital transformation, DevOps, um, agile transformation, lean startup, those um, design thinking, those kinds of specific topics. And what we found was that everybody's running into the same problems. 
over and over again. I can't, for example, I can't get enough buying. People are doing it wrong. Uh, the impact is localized to just one group because nobody else is on board. And then the changes, it just feels wrong. It, you know, it's, this isn't the way it was supposed to go. And, and so we keep running into those barriers over and over and over again. And it turns out that it's because you did the right thing. Um, and that's called the boost. So before you get to the barrier, you got a boost. And so the idea is that um, uh, in, order to, uh, in order to get started, you took initiative. That's a good move. That's a good, solid program manager, uh, change manager initiative uh, uh, move to take initiative. Unfortunately, uh, by taking initiative, you left a lot of people out. And so uh, you're going to have limited impact just to your silo. And, and then by, uh, by using industry best practices, you're instilling new capability, new, uh, new skills into the organization. But unfortunately, you're going to run up against a barrier that they're going to do it wrong. And they're not going to be compliant with the textbook approach of things. And so that boost inevitably leads to a barrier. So number one, embrace the fact that you did the right thing. And number two, understand that there's a natural barrier that comes from doing in the right thing. And in order to move forward, you have to explore the rebound. And the rebound is the next move, which is a counterintuitive leaning against the idea of the original boost. So instead of taking initiative and making progress and leaving everybody behind, the rebound is to give the transformation away. It's time to let it go viral and make it beyond your control. When it comes to industry best practices, and you see everyone doing it wrong inconsistently, not according to the textbook, well, it might be time to rebound by throwing the textbook away. You've used the best practices to their, to their fullest. Now it's time to tailor and customize those practices to context. And so we found this pattern coming up over and over and over again in the research that we did around uh, the, the barriers in the interviews that I did with um, practitioners across uh, the world and different industries. And so it's a very empowering message, to use your word, uh, Joe. It's empowering to note that, uh, no, I didn't screw this up. What got us here was actually logical. And maybe it wasn't you who, quote unquote, screwed it up, but maybe it was your predecessor. But you know what? Your predecessor did a logical move, incredible move, justifiable move of using best practices, taking initiative, mobilizing everyone else, um, and so on. And so that's, that's an encouraging thought. And the empowerment idea is that there is more opportunity just around the corner, un, unknown, untapped. But, you know, you mentioned barrier in there and rebound and, and book words, right? Uh, for the lay person out there, for Jane and John Doe that are out there in the cube today, what, is, what does that look like, right? What are, what are common barriers? What are things that they can be looking for to understand specifically what, how to identify that? I will explore that through the the agile lens, and it's um, it's the title of the book. Uh, the so first, let me tell you the, the the little secret, the hidden secret about the whole book, is that the 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 boost, the barrier, and the rebound uh, are patterns that you would see with any kind of transformation, any kind of change. So if you're trying to roll out OPM three, if you're trying to roll out a PMO, you're trying to roll out 
a new um, employee manual and getting people on board, you're going to run in very similar patterns around the barriers. And here's what we found specifically with the agile transformations. Let's say best practices, for example. Here's a barrier. People get wrapped around the axle. This is like they're not doing their daily stand-ups properly. They're not doing it properly. Um, it's not 15 minutes. It's like 25 minutes. And only one person's talking. And, and, and yeah, granted, information's being shared more, more frequently, more timely than in the previous attempt at an hour and a half weekly status meeting. But it just feels so wrong and it feels so bad because it's not the way it's supposed to be according to the textbook that I read or the training that I went to or the conference session that I saw. And so that's a specific example where we get agitated by when we see things that are done improperly. Another example of a barrier is where, let's say, a a development department is developing a new product, and they're as agile as they want to be. They're, they're rolling around their cycles and they're sprinting, but surprise, surprise, it still takes a, a year to get anything out the door because we have the downstream compliance team and the downstream security team and the downstream legal team. Another barrier is you start moving forward with the change, and then somebody else wants to take credit. You start, uh, they, some other vice president says, oh, yeah, I'm going to run my own transformation too. And you're like, no, that's not, no. This is, you can't do that because I'm doing it. Um, and so those are, those are just some of the examples. And it's not even the number one most common barrier. Well, there's a nice tease. <laughs> what's, uh, what's number one on the list? What's the most? Uh, and then I've got a, uh, after you walk through that, I'm going to give perspective on an organization that I think most people would not consider agile and, and get your perspective on what you think. Okay. So. Uh, let me, let Drum me roll, please. Yeah. We looked at a half a dozen uh, industry surveys uh, across different mo- all of those different movements I mentioned: DevOps, Agile, um, the Scrum Alliance, Data Scrum, the, uh, the the only lean startup survey that was published in the Harvard Business Review. And the number one recurring theme is our current organizational culture and structure are getting in the way of the change. Over and over and over again, to which I tell people, well, guess what? That's the job. Right. (laughs) The the barrier is the job. The barrier is to take current state into future state, and the barrier to future state is the current state. So um, that's another reframing. Another way to reframe the things that frustrate us the most are is to look at it as the, um, the very value we are attempting to provide as change leaders. Yeah, I love that. And, and uh, it's so hard at the micro level to make any sort of change if we don't have an organizational culture to support it, right? I mean, how do you get lasting change within a team if you're constantly being beat down from the culture, right? So it makes sense to me that that'd be number one. So let me yeah. ask you here, this is off script. It wasn't on what we had planned to talk about, but I'm My a big guy. believer of the U.S. military is the best agile organization in the world, right? People over process, they are, they're empowered, they're soldiers that are boots on the ground within the environment to react as necessary because they get the proper training, the proper uh, organization, and the proper culture for them to make decisions and not have to go off of what process is. They also get the work brought to the team. 
as opposed to teams brought to works like in traditional project management. So when we look at several tenets of the agile practices and what the military does in practice and consider the raid on bin Laden, right, where the helicopter goes down and the team reacts and they make the decision based on risk assessment that we're going to move forward with the mission. To me, we think of the military as a slow-moving, stodgy, giant behemoth, and the reality is it's made of smaller teams that are out there conducting agile missions all of the time. What do you think? Well, you're talking to the right guy. Um, and this is actually a very um, this is a very stark controversy in the agile community. Uh, it's a big debate. And it's one, I think, that's informed by people's a priori bias, um, which is based on who you identify with. So let me ask you, Joe, where did you serve and in what capacity? Yeah, that's the beauty. I didn't serve, right? Uh, but uh, since I did, I had a large number of family members who've served. And okay. uh, I wanted to give back best I could afterwards and help co-found VPMMA, which is the Veteran Project Manager Mentoring Alliance. So we provide a nonprofit organization to support and mentor veterans and their spouses trying to get careers in project management, agile, right, and delivery delivery roles post their service. All right. So you're more like Lieutenant Dan. Yeah, um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. Better. That actor. Yeah. What's his name? I, yeah. I forget his name. But Gary Sinise. Is that who that was? Yeah. Gary Sinise. Right. He's famous because he never served, but he's become like this, this uh, role model for how to support veterans um, with, uh, with the, the band that he, that he plays and the benefits that he whole hosts. That's me. Um, yeah. I, except I don't uh, sing your... nor play guitar, but I, I could do both, but it would be painful for everybody. So I have a similar story. My my grandfather fought in the Italian theater. My uncle fought in Vietnam. And my dad was drafted towards the end of the draft, but then was uh, saved with, by, by being stationed. They sent him uh, and his jungle gear over to a station in Alaska. And then my brother was, uh, was an Air Force firefighter for, for several years. And then his son, my nephew, is a sailor on a, uh, as a nuke tech. And, and so it's in the family. Uh, I tell people I grew up on base. And not only that, but I live in Washington, D.C., where you can't be a professional, um, particularly in the project management world, with eventually doing some tour of duty as a contractor on a large-scale government program. And so, so I, I have seen it. I have seen it work. I have seen some of the best scrum masters um, or, um, or people facilitators come out of Annapolis. Um, and I remember specifically, there was one engagement where I said, okay, you're the one who's trained in leadership. You're an Annapolis grad. So you've actually taken formal undergraduate coursework on what leadership is. So I'm going to ask you to be the one to run the next meeting in this one. Here are the goals, here are the objectives. And it works. It works. Um, some people have likened, there was one scrum expert who explained to me that the idea of a product owner versus a scrum master is the same thing as a commanding officer versus an NCO. Right. Um, one is mission-oriented, and the other is the team-oriented. That's right. And, and, and not only uh, that, but like when you start looking at modern leadership concepts, um, uh, you know, what is, uh, there was this um, meme that went out, like uh, some guys interviewing at Google, and he's like, Dude, what do you know about leadership? Well, you know, I went to sergeant school, and I led a, I led a platoon, and um, 
and uh, and learned a lot about people's needs and their expectations. Oh no, that's the military. People have to do what you tell them. That's not what leadership is. And and to which I I just have to chuckle. Like, do you not know that the be no do leadership model comes from ADP six dash twenty two? Yeah. Um. Uh. So so that's my perspective. However, the the other perspective is that too much of our understanding of of work in the corporate world comes from the military where in order to succeed we must have an adversary and um, you start thinking about the terminology we use where there's a chain of command at the office um, where we have corporate officers who are the only ones that are empowered to make decisions and we've got deadlines which if we don't cross um, which if we cross, we're all, you know, there are dire consequences. And, you know, we got to, we got to really, um, we got to ask, we got to take care of our, our troops. And, and so there's a lot of language that has connotation that just upsets some people. And as change leaders, I need to, uh, I need to be sensitive to those, to those sensibilities. I need to be thoughtful about how we convey the same concepts that many concepts, the military invented. Mm-hmm. Um, to an audience that's just that has some concerns about um, uh, the metaphor of having an adversary as the only way to be successful, or or um, that or the the kind of zero sum mindset that in order for us to succeed, someone else has to lose, and and I get that, but what what I what I get um, agitated about is when people lump in all bad leadership examples into an entire industry. So sure. um, there are good people in, in, um, in the petrochemical industry. Um, and there's a lot of economic value that's being created. And so, okay, now it's time to have a conversation about climate change and the impact and rena- renewable energy. That doesn't mean everybody that works at ExxonMobil um, is incompetent or unable to do stuff because, because there's a couple of bad apples in the bunch. So I think the military suffers a little bit from that. And um, if I can continue my ramble, I was encouraged. I was encouraged in the last couple of weeks to see how the United States senior military leadership was responding to a lot of the social uh, conversation that was happening around racial equity. Um, And now you're seeing um, Robert Gates going on TV, having a a very balanced message. Um, And so I think, I think, you're right on, Joe. Um, you're talking to a guy who believes strongly that when the military done right is among the most agile role models you can look forward to. The problem is um, it's not always done right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's hard to find uh, perfection out there, right? I mean, it's it's the intent often that matters more than um, each individual action, right? Um and to kind of pause for a commercial slightly here for both of us, um, we had brought up VPMMA and uh, we're proud to have IIL uh, sponsor us and allow all veterans and military spouses to attend their conferences for free. If you go out right now is the Agile conference they have active. If you visit IIL.com, You'll see the link there to, to attend that conference, which is ongoing. Enter code VPMMA at checkout, and you'll have a free registration. And that is for all veterans and spouses uh, 
Phelps. Thank you very much, IIL. And Jesse, you are presenting in that conference, correct? I am. I am. I give a solid uh, 45-minute technical presentation on untapped agility and um, three key examples. We go deep on three specific examples of the three of the seven patterns and moves. Um, And it's the... It's not the first time I've spoken with IIL at their event, and um, every time I, I participate, it's it's a very um, highly produced, high quality uh, production and event. So, um, so I always keep coming back whenever they invite me. Yeah, they they do definitely put on fantastic conferences, and uh, appreciate all they do for our veterans. Uh, taking a step back, you had mentioned. Uh, the social changes that we have going on right now in, in the U.S., but also across the world and the activism out there. And just want to take a moment to applaud you for taking a public stance and posting a comment out on social media that I know some people uh, gave you a little grief over saying that that wasn't the right platform, but the message was proper. And I think uh, hats off to you for doing that and making that sort of commentary. So good job, Jesse. Uh, I, I appreciate that. I, um, I had a number of my um, black executive colleagues um, say, Jesse, we, you know, it's, it's good that you're an ally. It's good that you're, you're engaging in dialogue and conversation, but, um, and I appreciate you, Jesse, telling me black executive that I need to go on record and I need to make a statement, but where's your statement? And, and so, um, and so I did, I posted on LinkedIn a place that I a month ago would have said is not the right place to say something. And, and, and because, um, it occurs to me that if you're, if you're a person, if you're a project manager, you're a person of influence. And if you want to facilitate collaboration, an environment of empowerment and inclusion, then this topic of racial um, equality is relevant. It's relevant to people who don't feel empowered and included in the conversation, even though you don't realize it, even though you don't feel that, um, that, you're, that you're being um, racist. I mean, who, who overtly thinks, I am a racist today and I'm going to behave this way. I mean, it's, it's about the unconscious realities that we want to be conscious about. and. Um, and yeah, yeah, there was one or two people who were like, you know, LinkedIn's not the place. And I've come to the conviction that anybody in any position of influence, it is absolutely their professional obligation to pursue empowerment and inclusion and collaboration and creativity for everyone. And if this is a topic that matters to some people and they don't feel those things that we want them to feel, we can't just wave a hand and say, mm, it's not appropriate. So. I appreciate the encouragement. It, it was very awkward and this is not, and, and I um, still wrestling with why did it take me so long and why did it take a global movement to get me in, to make me see what I see today? And, you know, you just, you just have to embrace that the timing is right when the timing, when the timing is right, I guess. The topic actually had come up on my prior show uh, Karen, our studio host and I, before the show started, I had said, man, I, I think I need to, to say something uh, at the top of the show, and and I didn't, and I think it may have been that day when I went back to LinkedIn, or maybe the next day I saw your message out there, and I said, "Geez, I I, I should have done that." 
Um, and, and my life has been uh, highly influenced by black leaders, which would be unusual for, for me to say, coming from a, a high school that had one black student um, and no black leaders politically or in our family. But for some reason, I've always been drawn to the teachings and learnings of Dr. King and uh, post-college, right, moved to Atlanta to be able to walk the streets that he walked and be able to understand the impact and the messages that he had. We have family members now uh, in my generation of the family that are, are interracial marriages and black children. And I think it's important for us as leaders to be able to recognize and say, we see you, right? We see you for who you are, the person, and not necessarily that uh, we're better than you for anything because we're not, right? We're, we're no different. We're just people. Um, and I think it's time for us to treat people appropriately and, and behave appropriately as people. So thank yeah, you and, for, and, for, you know, kind of giving me that courage to talk about that as well. So it's a, awesome. it's a tough topic, but it's uh, something that you're right. We're all leaders and we all need to take a stand and make sure that we're putting the proper messages out there. And not just the message, right? The actions post-message to support what we uh, speak. Yeah, the Scrum Alliance uh, issued their statement. Uh, it was earlier this week or, or late last week. And the, the title of their statement, Ally is a Verb. It's, it's good to go out and go on message, go on record. But what, what do we do as leaders? And so one thing that I think that connects to the broader theme is any effective leader, whether it's a transformation leader, project leader, is a, is a lifelong, consistent learner, especially if you're willing to learn about things that make you uncomfortable. And as, um, as a white male who um, has kind of known and, and seen things that, that are uncomfortable and inappropriate, but never really felt um, like it was my place or that I had the credibility to do anything, I've started learning. And so I was, I was on a webinar the other day and I learned about the concept of um, privilege prompts and privilege walks where you can reflect a little bit on, on some of those things. And, and, and then you can um, check out a webinar and just learn more about that side of things the same way that people are listening to this radio and learning about um, how can I be a transformational leader? How can I transform my culture from a place that does business as usual, which might include some uncomfortable topics, but might also include some just, you know, static bureaucracy um, in order to kind of move things forward. And I think constant learning, looking in the mirror. Uh, in fact, that's the name of one of the chapters is look in the mirror <clears throat> and, and ask yourself, uh, how are you challenging yourself to evolve and to grow in order to be relevant and to thrive in, in the, a dynamic, changing modern reality? And, and I know we've gotten a little uh, afar from topic we intended, but I think it comes back to where right, you talk about transformation um, and, and we're in transformation, right, as a society. Uh, and one last point I'll make on this. Um, we all historically think of the work that Lincoln did, of course, to free the slaves and the work. Uh, there was a great miniseries recently called Grant uh, that aired. Uh, and I learned something I didn't know. It was just five days after Lee and uh, Grant met at Appomattox to sign the ending of the war that Lincoln was assassinated. So he never really got to live and see the fruits of the work that they had worked on 
And it was actually, actually Grant who picked up the movement, right? The transformation after that. And if going back to watch that miniseries, three-part show, uh, very educational for me and I'm sure for others as well. And, and I'm not saying they got everything right in there. I have no idea. I'm not a historian, but it was eye-opening for me to see how much influence back in the 1860s or 1860s, a president was trying to push for equality um, and the pushback that he was getting from society at the time. But so that that's actually a, um, a good segue um, to a broader point about change is um, you may not you might be the one sowing the seeds. You may not be the one to see the fruit. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of times as PMO leaders, as transformation leaders, it's super agitating that it's taking so long and that it's so hard and why can't they get, it's just, it's just PPM, right? Isn't it obvious? Or it's just a digital version of our business processes. Isn't it obvious? And, and it's obvious to, to you and, and you're sowing the seeds, but it might take a couple of years for some of those seeds to take hold. And by then you've moved on to the next assignment and the next assignment, but, or you might be the person that's inheriting what some people are calling a mess of a program or a transformation or a change initiative. And, and, and somebody's been sowing seeds a long time and it's gone off the rails. It's gone off track somehow. And now it's our job to pull it back on track. Well, those seeds have been sown and now we've learned some lessons and we can adapt and get this thing moving in a positive direction by rebounding uh, a little bit. So I think time is a good observation, Joe. Time matters. <clears throat> uh, the person who sows may not be the person who reaps. Yeah, and, I, you know, there's different leadership moves, right, that we can make uh, to rebound. And you talk about this in the book a little bit. What, can you dig into that a little bit to help us understand what those are? Yes. So... Um, the untapped agility pattern, um, is one where there's three phases, um, or three states where there's a boost, a barrier and a rebound. And I mentioned earlier that the rebound is the idea where to get around a barrier, we need to lean against the logic of the boost that got us to the momentum that we already have. And, um, so, uh, one, uh, if I were to take a look at, uh, there, there are seven of these patterns. And then one of them might be that um, the culture and structure. So we alluded to this before. The culture and the structure of the current organization is just getting in the way. We've got a chain of command that um, is not interested in empowering people to make decisions on the ground. We've got a lot of paperwork that gets in the way of people um, doing things quickly. And that's just in the way. And so we start asking, like, well, why is this? Why is why are we not making any road uh any any momentum or, or traction on this. And it's because a lot of change initiatives have a very purist philosophy. So uh, I might have a philosophically consistent approach to the change of saying, we're going to follow these practices. We're going to follow this roadmap. And we're going to uh, change the, uh, the policies and the metrics. But our belief system is still the same. And we haven't, we haven't really started challenging people's underlying assumptions and and we haven't started challenging leadership behaviors or, or conversely what we see is that um we want to do a lot of the, that touchy-feely stuff and so we have um we go on listening tours and we do value surveys 
but and we want to focus more on being agile than doing agile or or being mature instead of just doing maturity practices and and yet we do a lot of that talk but nothing physically substantially changes on the ground and so the rebound is the idea that you um for that particular barrier where things are in the way you've got to be messy where you do a little bit of the structure a little bit of the culture a little bit of following the roadmap a little bit of deviating from the roadmap a little bit of the best practices a little bit of violating the best practices so the re- the move forward is about taking a different direction than what got you here rather than just trying to brute force double down on on every on on the same approach over and over again and it's based in a lot of research around uh, effective leadership being about balance uh, if you're a one-trick pony, you're only going to go very far. Um, but effective leadership, especially around change, is about having a balance of techniques and a balance of approaches. And the rebound is about reclaiming that balance. So as you're talking, you know, I'm thinking here, why why did you write this book now? Right? Because everything you're saying didn't just happen, right? I mean, it's been around for a while now. Maybe you just collected the research to give you some justification on some of it. Um, but I'm always intrigued as the timing of stuff, right? What, what was the impetus for this book at this time? So I met my editor at the PMI Global Conference Chicago in 2017. And and I had been studying, at the time, I had been moving more and more into helping senior leaders with their transformations. And whether that transformation is installing a PMO or installing agility or transforming a lot of business practices to be more digital. So the editor was like, yeah, you know, we'd love to have you write a book for us and to talk about it. So what do you want to talk about? And I was like, oh, well, I would talk about agile leadership. And I want to talk about like how leaders grow. And I want to talk about how change is impacted by that. I want to talk about, I was all over the map, all over the map. What was interesting is that what I set out to say is not what I ended up saying. And if anyone who's ever written anything, that sounds probably a little bit familiar. So I guess the timing, you know, there's the the proverb, when the student is ready, the teacher will come. And for me, the teacher was uh, the book itself. And I wasn't really ready to hone in on a core singular message. As a consultant, I'm paid to know a lot about a lot of things. As a project manager, it's usually my job to coordinate everybody else based on their skill sets and, and to make sure that everything's efficient. And, and as opposed to having a singular core message that I believe isn't being said enough. And I didn't come out until after wrestling two years with what, what was the research saying? What was my, what was my tribe telling me? And, and, and I think what, what emerged for me more than anything else was, uh, this idea that the transformation is not a failure. It's, we get so agitated and we're tempted to blame ourselves. We're tempted to blame other people. We're tempted to throw into the towel. And then coronavirus happened. <clears throat> and the world now changed. Yeah. everybody's best laid plans have gone upside down. Uh, my best laid plans have gone upside down. I'm supposed to be on a book tour right now. And you, you uh, are, you're, to, you're on the well, radio well, yeah. book tour right now. Yeah. Well, let me it. just, let me just say, Joe, I'm supposed to be in Orlando, Okay. <laughs> you know, enjoying the sun. Yeah. And then later on, I was supposed to go to a conference in Lisbon, Portugal. Oh boy. Um, and, and, you know, Bangalore. And so, you know, okay. like, you're nice. I know. But you're not, you're not that. Hey, nice. it's, it's sunny in Phoenix. Come on out here. Yeah. 
so my plans were, were were thrown upside down just like everybody else's and and so it's time it's it's ironic you know i need to practice what i preach uh, a little bit about am i willing to rebound against this new barrier of trying to kind of move forward with um, a private practice a core message some key offerings i think that's kind of like a long-winded non-answer to the question of why now a little bit of cosmic it's most, it was mostly cosmic. It happened when it happened, and it happened in such a way where I had to put my mo- money where my mouth was. You know, what I like there, as you were talking through that, is that you're describing it not like the author, right? You're describing it as Jesse the person. And on the show, when when guests come on and, you know, they start talking about what they're doing and what they're preaching and what they're pushing— <laughs> I always ask, can you bring that down to the the dad who's at the Little League game or the mom who's at the church event so that they, because people, when they leave work, they stop thinking about work and they think about their family. But what we do in our daily life ends up coming back to us to the office. And, and we do uh, remodels at our house that are a project and, and we do a landscaping project that's a project. So we're always doing this stuff. In, in, one. Yeah, in, in layman's terms, right? What what are the concepts of the book that we can bring into a, a non-corporate world, but we as corporate employees will employ some of this at home or, or with our kids or interactions within our community? So here's one. My 15-year-old uh, son is on the golf team at his high school. And one of his uh, his coaches... And he's got these dreams, of course, of like making it to a college scholarship and and then maybe maybe playing in competitive amateur, maybe not GoPro because I'm not like not as good as, uh, as as those guys. But he had this plan. He had this plan set out that I'm going to go to um, the, the virtual um, driving range and I'm going to uh, go play a couple of courses here at the local county county golf courses and he had his whole plans laid out and then coronavirus shut down everything. And so he was faced with, uh, I have a plan. My plan is I need to go back on the team, not as just a member of the team, but a meaningful contributor in his sophomore year. He wanted to be like a solid top four because only, um, or top six. So his, his, his playing would actually count towards the score and help the team win. Yeah. So, he started getting agitated that he couldn't go out and play because everything was closed down. Um, what do I do? And I'm not a men- member of an expensive, fancy country club. So he found a YouTube video that told him how to build a putting green in his backyard. Oh, wow. That's awesome. By digging a ditch, filling it with gravel. Uh, no, first the landscaping fabric, putting gravel on top of the landscaping fabric, and then ordering up some AstroTurf. And then taking a utility knife and cutting holes in the AstroTurf ordering little plastic cups from Amazon. And then bring, it took him a month and a half. Actually, it took him the duration of the shutdown of all the golf courses to actually build it. But he has a putting green in his backyard now because he knew that he couldn't wait. He knew that eventually school was going to reopen, maybe in a kind of a partial hybrid in-person fashion, but he couldn't wait. Time is the one luxury that today's professionals and citizens just don't have as much anymore because if we wait until tomorrow, things are going to change and our opportunity for impact is gone. Yeah. 
And so he knew that he had a limited window of opportunity to get better than his teammates. And his mother and I are just watching him do this, like digging a ditch in the backyard saying, I've got to figure a way out to play golf. It's kind of like a, it's, it's a cute little example, but it exhibits an attitude, an attitude of, you know, we're shut down now. And I think of those, the, uh, the, you know, the, the restaurants who struggled through, through all of this and still are struggling. And some of them, they were able to kind of squeak by with curbside pickup and with click and collect kind of, but, but now down the street, I see one pub basically put up, uh, uh, a whole bunch of um, signposts and, and 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 wooden stakes to create seating in the parking lot hmm. because the local regulations permit outdoor seating. Yeah, and and so they pivoted, right? They adapted. They rebounded against what they used to do, what what they had been doing, in order to overcome the barrier that they had now. And I think that's a, just, uh, a couple of examples where um, this mindset of uh, of of being creative and to get around the barriers is one that's going to be critical to success uh, going forward. Yeah, and it's I, I think going back to let's see, Agile Manifesto was what eighty no two thousand one or two thousand one two thousand one, but it was all, it was all, it existed right before there was a manifesto. All of these concepts existed and people were doing these, but it wasn't in an organized fashion. So. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the familiarity that we all exhibit. You just mentioned, right? I'm sure those restaurant owners aren't skilled in agile. They probably never don't have an agile certification, haven't been to an agile course, but they were confronted with a barrier and they had to make a decision that we're going to transform our business and rebound to be as successful or more successful after this pandemic. I mean, what greater testament for the book if everybody can take that and use that in their own life, there is a way to find, to use these techniques. I think you just gave me a new marketing message, Joe. Oh boy. I get a royalty for that, right? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but that's the point, right? Is these concepts aren't just for corporate America or, or corporate anywhere, right? I mean, global messaging for you, of course, with everybody on this. What are some, you know, if you want to kind of give a synopsis of, the book we've talked about different topics here right but we're getting short on time we're not out of time but we're getting short on time and i want to make sure that we hit everything that you want to hit uh is there anything we haven't covered yet that uh you want to drive people to to the book so one of the one of the things that i'm, I'm super passionate about these days is is leadership development personal self leadership and growing my own capacity to drive more success and more complicated initiatives and endeavors so that I'm given, you know what the reward of good work is, Joe? More, more work, work, right? Yeah, That's right. So how can I become the kind of leader that gets more of that work? How can I become the kind of leader that can handle more complicated things? And so the book um, has, uh, features a chapter um, that talks about a key barrier, which is, you know, I just, this, this all feels wrong. Um, people are taking credit for things they shouldn't be taking credit for. The practices are wrong. The the impact isn't the right way. The right it's just it's, because I I had to mobilize them to get them moving, and so I'm focusing externally. But the rebound forward through a lot of the might be to look in the mirror, and it might be time for some self leadership. 
And so I think uh, anyone who's listening to your show is already exhibiting a degree of self-leadership by seeking out knowledge and seeking out uh, practices and industry trends. I would want to say to you, to, to your listeners, you guys are doing the right thing. Do more of it. Do more of it. In particular, the research says that there are two key skill sets, two key skill sets that correlate to higher leadership performance and higher leadership effectiveness. And they are, first, um, actively seeking feedback. Second, building a reflective capacity to process that feedback. So actively seeking feedback might be, when was the last time you had a 360 review? What tool did you use? Was it helpful? Um, Did you get anonymous comments? Did you ask an executive coach to help you walk through those comments in a way that you can pull out the truth from the fiction, the signal from the noise? How often at the end of a meeting do you ask somebody, what about this meeting was most helpful to you? Uh, do you have any feedback for me, colleague, peer? And that's and then in the in the um, in the agile world, that's why we have a retrospective or in the project management kaizen lessons learned. We operationalize that. Uh, the second item, which is the, that reflective capacity. Um, do you have a weekly journal? Uh, are you tracking decisions that you've made and the outcomes of those decisions, and then giving yourself a moment to go back and take a look at them? Those are some things that, uh, so in the book, we, we, we cover a story about a guy named Mike who went on, who got thrown in the deep end on a transformation and realized very quickly he was thrown in over his head. And he went on this journey. He started taking a look at, like, am I equipped for this? And how do I go about gaining that equipment? Was able to start growing a capacity to where he's had well over a thousand employees go through his team to see how they do it at his large conglomerate company so that they can try it themselves. I would want to challenge your listeners to continue doing the good thing they're doing by seeking out new knowledge and new uh, practices and new concepts by taking it and applying it to themselves. Yeah, great point. I, you know, you talk about lessons learned and, and the retrospective and um, in the PMO squad, right? Our signature service is the purpose-driven PMO and our similar item is the debrief. Right. Uh, Lessons learned generally after the project's over. It doesn't help you during the project. Uh, But organizationally, having a debrief, again, another uh, steal from the military, um, walk into a room with no rank and say, thank you for letting me be here. Here's what I could have done better. And starting with yourself, as opposed to the the common corporate practice of a, a manager saying, here's what you didn't do right. There's so much more power in that. And having those on a recurring basis within your PMO helps everybody understand there's trust between us because we're all going to be open and honest. We're going to say what we could do better. So just another reflection for people to use as a takeaway from an overlap a little bit of the traditional space and the agile space within the offerings that the PMO squad offers. Um, and our thing it, you mentioned too that, that struck me is leadership, right? Leadership isn't the position you're in, or just because you're the manager doesn't mean you're the leader, Absolutely. right? You're a leader if you have followers and the only way to get follower, followers is to be uh, like a servant leader, right? To have something, a cause, a reason, a purpose, a trust, whatever it may be for people want to lead, uh, follow you as you being the leader. So again, I think good point on your perspective that people who are listening are seeking out the tools 
to help them be leaders um, and, and really appreciate that. So we yeah. are, you know, we're now we're now we're at the end. Uh, the hour <laughs> goes by fast. We covered a lot of ground. I know some of it uh, we didn't plan to, but I think some of it, uh, the, even though we didn't plan to, is really important that we covered it. Uh, so thank you so much, Jesse, for being on. Before we sign off, I want to obviously give you one last opportunity. How can people get in touch with you? Uh, where can they get the book? Um, I know you, we're not traveling the world to to Portugal and beyond to, to be able to meet them face to face, but how can people connect with you and stay in touch with you and what do you have coming up? Very quickly, untappedagility.com is the official website. You can go there and pre-order your copy of the book and you can uh, register to get all kinds of freebies, templates, uh, white papers that uh, didn't fit inside the book uh, and are better delivered through a website. And to your point, I am speaking at both the IIL Agile Scrum Conference and the, um, the, uh, the PMO Impact Summit, um, where we cover the, uh, the untapped agility topics in a little more structured approach than the, the kind of fun, explorative conversation that we just had. Uh, and so that, those are the two uh, places you could go to to get more goodies, more, more good stuff. Awesome. Thanks so much. And uh, everybody, I'll be presenting also in the PMO Impact Summit on my uh, topic, Empowering People to Deliver Results. So be sure to go out and uh, to see Jesse and I and the material that we're putting forward. So thank you again, Jesse, for being on. Uh, I also want to thank our listeners, of course. Without you, we don't exist. Uh, be sure to visit projectmanagementofficehours.com. Check out all of our upcoming shows and guests. We've got Cornelius Fickner, Chris Kopp, Randy England, uh, and many more that are going to be coming up in the weeks and months ahead. Also, a reminder that these shows are being recorded. So subscribe to Project Management Office Hours podcast on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, etc., Last I checked, we were number one on iHeartRadio Project Management Podcast, which is pretty cool. Don't really know what that means, but at least it's kind of cool. Um, and of course, thank you to our sponsors, the PMO Squad. Visit thepmosquad.com to learn more about the purpose-driven PMO and all of their project management services. That's it for now. Office hours are now closed. Until next time, I'm PMO Joe, and you've been listening to Project Management Office Hours. Mm-hmm.